Welcome to the CDM Podcast, a production of Contagious Disciple Making. We exist to catalyze movement through coaching, community, and communication. We created this podcast to help everyday Christians to become world-changing disciple makers. Hi, my name is Paul Watson, and you're listening to the CDM Podcast. Like, share, five-star rate, review this podcast. And by the way, while you're at it, go ahead and head on over to the App Store and iTunes or in Google Play and download the Contagious Disciple Making app. Just search Contagious Disciple Making, and you can join the growing platform where you can access our praying community of disciple makers and learn from our podcast blogs, videos that will help you know how to make disciples in your life and wherever God has called you to be serving him. While you're there, you can support this podcast by following the link to our Patreon. Your support allows us to continue to offer and create new content and support disciple makers like you as they seek to transform their communities with the gospel of the kingdom. As a thank you, those who give at least $5 a month will have access to our premium content that dives even deeper into the challenges and tips for disciple making. So today's podcast is maybe a little bit different from some others in that I'm going to go into a very personal story of a time when um, I heard God's voice two times, actually, and they were quite significant to me. And I think that um, they have a huge impact on disciple making and my understanding of disciple making and how I'm involved in disciple making movements. So I'd like to share those with you. So when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I remember driving in Lubbock, Texas. That's where I was living at the time. And I got a phone call from my dad. I answered the call. It was an odd time of day. And he began the conversation with, Paul, it's going to be okay. Now, in my family, that's code for something very bad is about to follow, but we're, gonna, we're all okay. We're going to survive kind of thing. And so I remember that morning moment going, Oh, okay. Okay. What's going on? And he said, uh, I have been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. I have a tumor the size of your um, daughter's fist in my colon. And, in, and it is very serious. In fact, so serious that your mom and I, instead of going to Italy to celebrate her graduation from law school, we're going to um, actually cancel all of our travel plans and stay in the United States. And I have got to get emergency surgery to remove this tumor. I don't know the impact of this will have on my ministry, but uh, there's, it's very possible that they could treat it and I could go through after a time of recovery, travel overseas again, or um, I may never be able to travel again because it would be entirely too difficult. We just don't know at this point. And I remember in that moment, just the feeling like the whole world slowed down. I mean, my dad was my hero, my mentor, my father, and I was I was basically getting the news that he may not make it. It may be that bad. And I remember driving home and just just going into the bathroom, turning off all the lights, getting into the shower, and just sitting there with the water beating down on me, you know, talking to God and saying, God, I don't understand. I mean, we've just begun the work in Africa. We, we don't have enough people who've been trained yet. Um, I've just started branching out and training people myself. 
and and I don't know everything that I need to know to be involved in disciple making movements. Um, I need at least 10 more years of my dad, father. I need 10 more years of my dad so he could teach me all the things you've taught him. And then I was reminded of the Psalms of David. I said, well, what does it profit you, father, for for my father, David, to go into an early grave and not be around to help people become disciple makers? What benefit does that do to your kingdom? How will all those people learn about you and offer you their praise? Uh, I don't understand why you would take him this early. We still need him. And the room was dark and it was quiet. I could just hear the beating of the water on my head. And all of a sudden I felt a voice say to me, I don't know if it was audible or if it was inside, but it was very clear. And it was, if I choose to take your father home to be with me now, will you still love me? And I was just rocked by that question. And it threw me into a time of reflection. And, and it, God brought to mind um, my family motto, which is, but if not, taken from Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, we know, O king, that our God has the power to rescue us from your hands. But if not, we will not bow. And I, in that moment, I got to actually sit with the weight of that phrase that I knew God had the power to heal my father. And he was asking me that if he chose not to and chose to take my father home to heaven to be with him, he was asking me if I would still love him. He was asking if my love was dependent upon him doing what I wanted him to do. And I just remember wrestling with that and coming to the space of it's not love. It's not seeing him as my Lord. If those things are dependent upon what he does in response to my requests, because he is God, no matter what. And it doesn't change if he says no. And in that moment, I just remember realizing, I said, Lord, if I only loved you, if you chose to heal my dad, then that wouldn't be love. And so, yes, if you choose to take my father home to be with you, I will still love you. I am your man. I'd love to be able to tell you that God then comforted me and, and sent ministering angels to me and told me everything was going to be okay. But he didn't do that. He just left me in the silence of that choice. My dad ended up going through surgery shortly after that, and they removed, uh, they removed the tumor from his colon. They had to give him a, a colostomy which is a bag outside because of his body, because his colon wouldn't work. Um, they, I mean, it was a very invasive procedure because they had multiple tests that showed it was a very aggressive form of cancer. And, and Job, the doctor who was working on my dad, was a deacon at our church and a friend of ours, and he just did not want to um, 
to let anything go because he wanted to make sure and preserve my father's life to the best of his abilities. And dad survived the procedure. It was longer than we thought it would be, but he survived the procedure. And a, a couple days later, after he had started to regain awareness and everything else, the, the whole family went to visit him in the hospital. And my brother was there and I was there. My kids were there and uh, my mom was there. And we're sitting there talking and joking, which is a lot of what our family does when we're dealing with stress. And Dr. Job walks in and he does the things that you never want to see a doctor do, which is ask about the weather, joke around with the family, anything but address the issue he's there to address. And finally, my father looked at him and said, Job, spit it out. What's going on? And uh, Job goes, David, I'm so sorry. He said, I have taken that tumor and we have tested every cell in that tumor. And I don't know what happened because we had tests, multiple tests that showed it was an aggressive stage four cancer. And now we have the tumor outside your body and we've tested every cell and there's not a single cancer cell there. And I would never have done such an aggressive surgery uh, over a tumor that had no cancer cells in it. And dad just looked at Job and he said, oh, Job, this is not your fault. You're a great doctor. And I'm sure those tests were accurate. This is a miracle from the Lord. He has healed me from the cancer. And in that moment, I heard God's voice a second time. And he said, don't you dare for a moment think that I did this for you or for your father. I did this because there are 500 Africans currently on their knees because they love your father and they're asking me to preserve his life. And I want them to know that I am their God who hears their voice and answers their prayers. And I can tell you, in that moment, I felt so small, so small. I felt the size of the almighty God and the weight of the commitment of what it means to be someone who has given their life to serve him. And I wanted to share that story with you today because I feel that there's a lot of people who get into to seeking disciple-making movements for the wrong reasons. They get into it because they, they could not find a platform in other places, in traditional churches or ministries, and they, they feel like disciple-making movement gives them a place to be angry at the church and to lead something that could prove to them all that they were wrong for not seeing what a great leader they were to begin with. I feel that people get into movement maybe because uh, not because they were angry or anything, but because it, it gave them a platform that they hadn't earned in those other places and it gave them the uh, something that had the potential to make everyone recognize their greatness. They were the savior of this country because they started this movement and it's all upon them. And I just, I just want to speak against that as a follower of Christ saying that that's not the reason we get into movement. 
we get into movement and, and leading in movement because, first of all, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the God who sent his angels to appear before shepherds and was born in a manger and lived a life here on earth and died on a cross so that we could have a relationship with him because we couldn't do it by ourselves. That's the first motivation. It's got to be him and him alone. And then the second motivation is that there are people who are dying who will live a life separated from him for eternity, and they don't even know. Even right here in the United States, in areas where there may be churches on every street corner, they don't even know because it doesn't occur to them to go to a church to hear about Jesus and to find the answers to their deepest questions about life. Those are our only two acceptable motivations for getting into doing disciple-making movements. Because I'm just telling you, if you're doing it right, then it's not about you. In fact, one of the reasons we look at generational multiplication is that as you get further away from the generations, people don't even know who you are. People don't even know who you are. I mean, I've, I've watched my father my whole life, and I've watched him go to conferences and say hard things and never be invited back. And yet there are other people who are maybe younger and flashier and better looking who sat there and said flashy things and, and, and claimed, you know, and didn't have any experience, did not even have any of the experience my father had. And yet they were invited back over and over and over and over again. And, you know, and I might sit there and allow that to make me bitter, but you know what I realize is it's not about being invited to speak on a stage because we might have to say things that people don't want to hear. But instead, it's about exalting God and being an advocate for the lost in front of the throne of heaven, in front of civic authorities, and in front of the body of Christ saying, we need to reach these people. And if you're not willing to have it all stripped from you, then you're not going to be successful in disciple-making movements. You've got to be willing to lay it all down. All down. And as I consider that today, I want to I just share this passage with you. You've heard it. I know you've heard it many times before. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by it, our ancestors were approved. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen has been made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by this, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through this. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death and he was not to be found because God took him away. For prior to his transformation, he was approved, having pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. 
For the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after being warned what was not yet seen in reverence, built an ark to deliver his family. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went out to a place where he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of the promise, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. And therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith without having received the promises, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been remembering that land that they had come from, they would have had opportunity to return, but, but they now aspire to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He who received the promises was offering up his unique son, about whom it had been said, in Isaac, your seed will be called. He considered God to be able to raise someone, even raise someone from the dead, from which uh, he also got back as an illustration. That by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped, leaning on top of his staff. By faith, jo Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they did not fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived ple pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the, than the treasures of Egypt since his attention was on the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as one who seeks him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, received the spies in peace and did not perish with those who disobeyed. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging of fire escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sought in two. 
They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. You know, in Africa, that was that time began the movement. And now we've seen millions of Muslims fall in love with Jesus. And we've seen tens of thousands of churches started, perhaps hundreds of thousands now. I don't have, I don't have uh, more updated numbers. God took the seed of obedience and blessed it, but it, it cost everything and yet nothing because although we might lose this body, although we may be misunderstood, although we may be mistreated, we understand that we perform for an audience of one, the creator of all things and the one who loves us each individually. And therefore, the hardship and the pain that comes when people are pursuing helping those fall in love with Jesus and help them help others fall in love with Jesus and so on and so forth until we see the gospel of the kingdom exist among the people, till we see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth as is in heaven, till we see evil institutes like Roe versus Wade crushed because of the fasting and prayer of righteous men and women over the years. That until we see that happen or God calls us home, our job isn't done. And it's not about fame. And it's not about glory, or at least our glory. It's all about him and the people who don't know him. And so I just want you to check your heart. Why are you seeking to be a part of disciple-making movements. If it's because you want pictures of you teaching hundreds of people these principles from a stage, if it's because you want to be applauded, if it's because you're angry and you didn't have a place of leadership and you feel like you can find that here, then I'm going to ask you to repent before God because the only motivation should be him and seeing his kingdom come and his will be done on earth is in heaven, understanding that people need to know Jesus. People need to know Jesus. And I'm telling you that if you're doing it for the fame and glory, you will not last. You will not make it. Because the hard times will come. The money will not be there. It'll be hard to find the team. People will reject you, abandon you, and call you all sorts of names. And if you have built your entire reason for doing stuff on them, then you will fail. But if you build your reason for doing this on the bedrock, of Jesus Christ and on the desire to obey him no matter what the cost because you believe that people are worth it and that he is worth it 
then it doesn't matter what gets thrown against you, you will prevail. And eventually, whether on this side of heaven or on the other, you will see the promises of God fulfilled. I understand that seeking movement in the United States is often thought to be foolish, that it can't happen here. But I've heard that so many times in so many different other countries that I can't help but smile and go, oh, but I know the power of my God to overcome all obstacles and barriers. And what you say can't happen only gives him an opportunity to show how incredible and how awesome and how powerful he is. And I might die before we see movement here or in Canada. But that doesn't matter. It will happen and he will be exalted and my countrymen and women will have the opportunity to love Jesus and to dance with him through this life into the next. You've been listening to the CDM podcast. Don't forget to like, share, five-star rate, review this podcast. And uh, because, you know, when we hear from you, it really helps us to uh, keep going to encourage us. Encouragement's good. Um, We could do it without it, but it's always nice to hear Christian brothers and sisters. uh, Let us know that this has been helpful to their walk. Let us know how it's impacted their walk with the Lord. And until next time, go and make disciples. Thanks for listening to the CDM podcast and supporting us on Patreon. For coaching or other resources, connect with us at ContagiousDiscipleMaking.com or download the Contagious Disciple Making app Join us in the journey of becoming world-changing disciple-makers.